Listener Production. Hi, Sasha Barbagat here with another extra episode of The Briefing for you. It is that time of year again. No, I'm not talking about Christmas. It's Spotify wrapped season. Over the last 24 hours, your social media feed, like mine, has probably been filled with people posting their most listened to songs and artists of the year. Or on the other side, it's people complaining about the people posting their most listened to songs and artists of the year. It is a sign of what the music industry has become centred on over the last decade, and that's streaming. No one's buying music anymore. We're all paying for subscriptions and streaming them. Everyone does it. But has this effectively killed off the music industry as we knew it? Artists get 0.003 cents per stream. So you have to achieve enormous amounts of streams, think the likes of Taylor Swift and Drake, to earn anything like decent money. A lot of musicians these days are relying more on live show revenue and merchandising. So has streaming and Spotify, as by far the biggest service, killed off the music industry. Associate Professor Dan Golding is Deputy Chair of Media and Communication at Swinburne University, and he's here to try to answer that. Dan, thanks for joining us on The Briefing today. Look, earlier this year, we saw Sanity, which was pretty much the last physical place you could buy a CD, close its final store. How has streaming impacted our music consumption in such a short amount of time? Well, I think it's really changed not just the culture and the way that we access Uh, music, but kind of almost the expectations around it. I think, you know, uh, music consumers, music fans in the past were, you know, the way to access music was to go and buy it and, you know, to kind of almost weigh up, you know, that's why the kind of critical culture around it was so important. You know, is this album worth my money? Uh, How am I going to get a preview of that? Well, maybe I'll go on the radio and hear it first or something like that. Uh, Whereas today, you know, like you sort of don't really need that if you have a um, subscription account to any of these streaming services, it's as easy as uh, typing in one word and double clicking uh, to kind of listen to the music. There's no outlay. And so for that reason, I think, you know, people are used to just kind of having music available and ready. And so I think, you know, uh, as consumers, that has changed the culture around music. It's changed its, its kind of value proposition, I think, as well. Like it's just there. Uh, And Mm. it's just easy, um, which in some ways is great. You know, as a music fan myself, I love having pretty much whatever I want to listen to available very easily with no no cost, seemingly no cost uh, Mm. and kind of instant access. But at the same time, I think it changes how we see music, how we value the ability to listen to it right away. Uh, And kind of our relationship to those artists is renegotiated, I think, with these services, Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I remember the days of first off buying, you know, the So Fresh hits of Summer CD at, you know, a Sanity or or a Maya or a Target or whatever. And Mm. then I remember the days of the good old days of LimeWire, waiting 15 <laughs> minutes to get that one song and then you put it on and it was yeah. porn instead, which was, you know, <laughs> had its own issues. I suppose if you looked at it now, the streaming giants would argue that if a fan bought a CD or illegally downloaded a stream, you know, illegally downloading, they get no money. If they buy a CD, it's a one-off payment, but streaming, they get revenue over and over again. Do you think that's a fair mm. assessment? Well, I mean, streaming was certainly presented as a solution 
to the piracy of kind of, I suppose, the early 2000s. I mean, if you kind of look at the way that the music industry has made its money, the 90s were a golden age because Mm. the CD era, you know, it was just, it was making bucket loads of cash. Uh, And there's a big dip um, kind of when piracy in the early era of digital downloads as well. Um, So, you know, when iTunes was first announced, when the iPod first turned up and you have, you know, those great ads with uh, Jet, Uh, playing in the background, that sort of era. Um, But I suppose, yeah, streaming was presented. And we see this very similarly with other media forms like uh, TV and film with Netflix and so on as a solution to piracy. And I think it's basically, it's about the ease of use. Um, That was one of the things with piracy is that it wasn't always about getting something for free. It was easier Uh, Mm. And, you know, as long as the legal methods were both more expensive and more inconvenient, that was always the problem. Whereas streaming at least solves one of those problems, which is it is pretty convenient to stream. In fact, these days, probably much more convenient to stream than it is to to pirate, which is a big plus for the music industry and for artists as well. Mm. But you know, I, I think there are very few musicians who are really making, you know, even rent from streaming payments. I think these days it's almost much more of a supplementary income, whereas selling your actual music used to to be the main game. Yeah, and I was going to come to that point. Big players, Taylor Swift, Ed Sheeran, we know that they're making a mozza from their streams and their music that is on those platforms. What about Mm. an act, and I I will talk about up-and-coming artists in a sec, but for now I want to ask you about an act like, let's say, In Excess. They haven't released anything for years. What sort of Mm. benefits are they seeing from streaming or is it the opposite and they're not getting anything? Well, I mean, uh, older classic bands, I suppose, that, as you say, haven't released anything in a while. You know, I suppose the advantage of streaming is that it allows a back catalogue. And that's actually almost the kind of benefit for an up-and-coming artist as well. It's almost like a portfolio uh, Mm. in that it's there, available. It's kind of a way for fans to instantly connect with not just your latest release, but delve into the, the kind of history of music making that you've done, which in some cases for a more underground act, you know, maybe you're making music for 10 years, you've got uh, hundreds of tracks up there before that one kind of breaks through in public consciousness, which can be great. But yeah, you know, I think um, as well, the other thing that can't be ignored in this discussion is that the music industry, you know, like we can talk about individual artists and maybe the higher profile, uh, older artists with a big catalog like In Excess is a good case in that. But the music industry as a whole is doing better than it has in more than a decade, the streaming era has really improved its uh, its bottom line uh, dramatically. I mean, I saw uh, this year there was only a six or seven percent revenue increase, which is actually still bigger than it's been in in more than a decade. I want to talk about consumers before we let you go. Given Spotify can send us, you know, our Wrapped of the Year and they know everything about our music consumption, is it good for consumers to have that kind of engagement? with the streaming platforms or are there negative impacts? So, you know, we just talked about connection with the artists, but this is kind of more Mm. connection with the streaming platform. You know, what's your take on that? Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Uh, I mean, you know, Spotify loves to position itself as not even the home of music, but almost the creator of that positive music experience. I saw an interview recently where someone from Spotify basically said, it's great that we're able to create this wrapped moment. And it's like, actually, the artists create that 
you know, you you package it up and Spotify as a platform does a great job in this. It's easily the the best thing that they do and they've been very effective at creating this wrapped moment year after year. Mm. But they're not creating the music. They're not the reason that we open Spotify even in the morning. You know, we want to we wanna listen to something. We, you know, I want to connect with an artist. Uh, and so I think, you know, Spotify loves to kind of claim that a little bit. And certainly this is also the case with streaming services around the world on different platforms. I mean, Netflix has a whole brand tied up with it, you know, even like expressions like Netflix and chill means a whole different thing, right? But like, you know, it wants the kind of vibe of Netflix rather than any specific film or director or star. And the same is probably true of the other streaming platforms as well, that they want to be the home of a certain kind of entertainment experience or or even cultural experience or moment because they want you coming back to that platform. They want you to feel like you've missed out if you've been on Apple Music or something like that or Deezer or one of these other ones and kind of, you know, where's your raps, you know, like you've missed Mm. out on that cultural moment. So, and they've been very effective at doing that. You know, it's great that that kind of uh, allows musicians to amplify their connection with fans. You can do a little video. You can, you know, it's as an artist myself, I get a, a, a different kind of wrapped where they tell you how many people streamed, where they're from around the world. And that's also a really lovely experience. Mm. Uh, it doesn't change necessarily the fact that if I'd sold that many CDs, I could definitely pay my rent from music, but uh, <laughs> struggle to from streams. So, you know, there are, there are these wonderful cultural moments, but it doesn't change the, the actual outcome. Mm. Yeah. Before I let you go, Dan, where do you think we're going to be in the next 20 years? Has streaming kind of taken over? Is that it? Is that the way we're going to be listening to music, you know, until the next huge invention comes along? Yeah. I mean, look, I think streaming has definitely locked itself in as the way that we access music um, in a in a really widespread sense. I think the fact that this Last uh, quarter, even I think it was, was the first quarter in a couple of years that Spotify actually turned a profit. Is perhaps telling that they're going to continue to to squeeze artists. Uh, they've announced some interesting changes to how they share revenue uh, into the future that uh, some artists are pretty pretty annoyed about. But I guess we'll see how that pans out. They've certainly got the power to basically do what they want in terms of that kind of thing at the moment. But I do think it's interesting that at the same time you have other services like uh, Bandcamp, which, you know, has been bought and sold recently and has had some layoffs, but nonetheless, I think presents um, a real opportunity to cater for the kind of um, musician, but also the kind of audience and community that really want that grassroots experience where they really genuinely connect. Uh, and you see people, I mean, I have people buying my music on Bandcamp and they pay above what I'm asking for all the time because mm. they see it as that kind of opportunity to give back, that they're not just anonymously clicking play on a streaming service. So I think perhaps those two things will see those grow and change in different directions. I don't see the grassroots taking over from the big behemoth anytime soon, but hopefully it'll continue to be a way that people consume music. There's no doubt streaming platforms have changed the way we consume music forever, but those true music fans who want to connect with the artist and have that deeper kind of understanding of what they're listening to and the context around it, those people will always exist. They're the ones buying vinyls. They're the ones who are going through these grassroots streamers, like you said. And it'll be really interesting to see where we're at in the next 20 years. Dan, thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was Associate Professor Dan Golding, Deputy Chair of Media and Communication at Swinburne University. 
that's all we have time for in this extra episode of The Briefing. And if you're wondering, my top artist for 2023 was Talking Heads. I listen to a lot of music with my dad and that's what we vibe to. The Weekend Briefing will be back in your feed from six tomorrow morning. I'm Sasha Barbagat. Thanks for listening. Listener.